0: Good evening, listeners. It is... June 18th, 2017, and you're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing.
1: It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Kristen Finch. And I'm Lori Lutz. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages
0: inspiration dissemination is recorded live and should they occur any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent oregon state university or this station tonight we are joined by nicolette constant K- K- Kansanier- i'm sorry <laughs> and she's uh she is skyping in with us from the department of well from interdisciplinary studies environmental uh sciences so nicolette are you there I'm here. Awesome. Perfect. And uh, so what are what degree are you seeking?
2: I am seeking an environmental sciences degree uh, specific to environmental education.
0: Awesome. And who is your uh, major advisor?
2: Dr. Sean Rowe in the College of Education.
0: Very good. And do you want to just start off by telling us a little bit about what you are doing here at Oregon State?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I am looking... At conservation education programs that target pro-environmental behavior change at zoos and aquariums that incorporate a live animal interaction component, um, and that's yeah, that's the gist of it.
1: <laughs> Great. Um, so Nicole, Nicolette, um, we are really gonna gonna mess this up tonight. We got um, it. <laughs> it. <laughs> um, anyway. So zoos and aquariums, it's my understanding that they've kind of gone through this transition over the years. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, historically, zoos and aquariums have been sort of this opportunity to display collections of animals. Um, But this is sort of now more, hopefully, in our distant past. Um, but recently, this transition has occurred that's much more focused on conservation and education um, and teaching people about the animals that they um, have in their care and those ecosystems that they uh, represent. Um, and it's really exciting, um, but there also happens to be a lot of, a lot of uh, research that still needs to occur because it's been a relatively recent transition.
0: And so that's how you're getting involved with the with uh, zoos and aquariums, right? Is you're like looking into their educational exhibits?
2: Yeah, so I'm really interested in how they're how they're approaching education, um, specific to conservation messages. So any any zoos or aquariums that are accredited through the Association of Zoos and Aquariums have to uh, address that component in some capacity. Uh, and I'm just kind of really interested in how they're doing this um, and how that can be improved. Um, so that we're so that we're able to target pro-environmental behavior in the most efficient and appropriate way.
0: So, why do you think that uh, zoos and aquariums have kind of taken this stance on on conservation? Uh, and what kind of uh, what kind of role can zoos and aquariums play for interacting with humans?
2: Yeah, I think I mean I think the transition has been sort of organic. I think the more that we've understood and, and been able to study animals um, and have just changed as a culture, I think that that's just been this sort of natural transition into something more than, than just uh, a display of animals. Um, and I think that, you know, we do have some evidence now that these facilities, so I, I'm studying uh, free choice learning specifically, so any, any learning that doesn't happen um, inside of a formal education a uh, facility like a school, like a school, um, so some, something like a zoo or aquarium would be considered a free choice learning setting, and mostly, um, I mean, zoos, aquariums, museums, national parks, all of those would fall under this free choice learning I- idea, um, and they play a huge role, all of them, and especially zoos and aquariums, um, in educating people about the environment. Um, so. They have a really important role to increase environmental literacy um, in our country right now.
0: Right. So I'm thinking like zoos, I usually find them in like big, bustling urban environments. So that might be the only, uh, if I live there, maybe the only interaction that I get with like wild animals unless I, uh, especially for people
1: in
2: urban areas that maybe don't drive.
1: Right. So potentially you're reaching a much different demographic. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, and I think that that's um, a really important point, um, that this is an, an ability for us to facilitate a connection to the natural world that people in urban areas might otherwise not be able to encounter. Um, and even if even if you are, I still think that it it, uh, it enables you to connect with nature in a different way because even if you're able to go out, um, I know we're lucky in, in Oregon to be able to go out hiking and observe awesome things, um, but you don't necessarily get the same uh, level of interaction or uh, visibility with with wildlife, for instance. And I think that that uh, connection to to wildlife in particular um, creates this uh, sort of affective, you know, emotional component that's really important to engage audiences um, so that you're able to deliver a message in a different way.
1: Absolutely. So you're really um, interested in focusing on the live animal exhibits. And do you have any examples of how these live animal exhibits can tie into this message of conservation?
2: Yeah. So I mean, this happens in a lot of different ways. Um, but for instance, you know, if you're trying to if you're trying to target a specific behavior. So if you're trying to get people to um, maybe stop throwing cigarette butts on the ground, um, which is a big problem, and you want to address that, um, creating a connection with the animal and the ecosystem could help do that. So, you know, for instance, if um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but um, listeners out there, I know my hosts are aware because I told them this already, but <laughs> um, that uh, cigarette butts are the number one uh, trash items found in our in our oceans. So it's a huge problem. And um, we have found, they've done some experiments to see how that impacts the environment. And as you can imagine, there's all kinds of things that are found in cigarette butts that aren't uh, good for the environment. There's a lot of carcinogens, among other things. Uh, and so they did this experiment to see what the effects were, and they dropped a cigarette butt in. Um, it's a kind of a sad story. <laughs> um, but they dropped the cigarette butt into a tank that had some fish in it and it was just one cigarette butt uh, and it killed all the fish. And oh if you want to really like take that message, um, home and, and change people's behavior. You could tie that then to an animal at a zoo or aquarium, um, that was, that was found in the ocean. So like a sea lion, um, training session or some sort of trainer talk or, uh, just even like the keepers talking about the animals, um, could, could connect those things in a different way for people. So that's, it's it's much more tangible. It's not, it's not something that's abstract. Absolutely.
1: And just, um, one thing, so you, you've been mentioning like the sea lions and different animals and things. And, um, so are these animals, are they, um, being captured and just put on display or, um, what are the animals? Um, where do they come from? I guess is what I'm trying to get at.
2: Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And it's something that I have found actually through, um, some other research I've been doing, um, with, uh, in partnership with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Uh, a lot of people don't know where these animals are coming from. And, you know, in the past, um, Back in the day, they used to take animals out of the wild, which is really unfortunate. But we're smarter now. We understand, you know, the detrimental effects of doing something like that. And for the most part, uh, most animals that are in any sort of facility, like a zoo or aquarium or a wildlife outreach um Uh, they are oftentimes rescued, so something has happened, something that humans have done, um, they've been shot, they've been run over, um, there was a wildfire, and it destroyed their habitat, something along those lines, and they're unable to be released. And so those animals uh, come into human care and act as an ambassador for their species and then for the ecosystem uh, that they live in. And that's a really important uh, component of this because um, if we, you know, if we aren't able to release those animals, the question is like, well, what else do we do with them? And I think that this offers a really meaningful, productive use of of uh, their lives. Um, and it's something that I know for sure all the people who are charged with taking care of them take very seriously and make sure that they are kept in the best way possible. <laughs>
0: I like that a lot. So I'm just, I just keep thinking, like, I've never heard of anyone really say, like, the animal at a zoo is an ambassador for all of the, like, for sea lions, for example, like, oh, don't you love Bubbles, the sea lion? We just acquired him, but he is, you know, on the mend. But cigarette butts are pretty bad for Bubbles. (laughs) I I see it coming together. (laughs) And so Bubbles is like a spokesperson for all the sea lions that we don't ever get to meet.
2: Exactly. That's exactly it.
0: Anyway, so uh, do you want to tell us just a little bit about um, how you are going to go about doing this study and understanding if, uh, or uh, maybe, yeah, the the mission of some of these exhibits at zoos and aquariums?
2: Yeah, so like I mentioned, you know, there's sort of uh, this gap um, in, in research because of the relatively... Uh, new newness of this transition, and so we're we're needing research to support um, and confirm some of the things that we know sort of anecdotally. And you know, as a facilitator, so I, I've worked in the industry for about fifteen years, and I've been one of those educators who's out there talking about the animals and sharing that with um, our the guests or a school group. Um, and what I'm really trying, what I'm really interested in knowing is, is how are those programs being designed, how they're being implemented, and how they're being evaluated. So it's sort of this three-part approach to understanding, um, to understanding that because I think it's really important to, to see where research could maybe inform practice and where practice can inform um, new research that should be conducted. Because, uh, you know, Targeting something like pro-environmental behavior is very complex, um, as I'm sure you guys can all imagine. Trying to figure out how to change behavior, especially on larger scales, is very uh, nuanced, to say the least. Um, So I think all of the information that we can gather that would help us to understand what these mechanisms are that we could tap into uh, so that we could um, make make these programs, uh, like I said, more efficient in doing that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm really excited to, to see what you find. So when you're out and um, doing these observations, do you plan on visiting the the um, different places or how do you plan to go about getting this information?
2: Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, the plan right now is that I was going to interview uh, education directors and essentially their counterparts in the animal care side. So Oftentimes in a zoo or aquarium, you'll have these different departments. And the educators are in a different department than the uh, animal trainers and caretakers. But they'll both be presenting or creating programs that they're disseminating to the public. So I'm interested in getting sort of both sides of the story. And uh, so I would like to interview them. And then I'd like to go to each of these facilities um, and observe the program that we are talking about. Um, and and see how 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 it's being designed. You know, hearing that from the educators and the care supervisors, um, what their what their thoughts are, like how why they're designing the program the way that they're designing it uh, to target that certain conservation topic or that behavior. But then also, I want to see how it gets implemented. So, like, is there any differences between uh, the way it's designed to how it's implemented? Um, if there are differences, you know, is it, is it, why are there differences? Um, and so, yeah, I'd have to be at each of these facilities and I'm hoping to do, I'm hoping to do a, a about four in the Pacific Northwest and then four in Southern California, uh, right now. So I got my, my plate pretty full with that.
0: <laughs> that sounds really exciting. Do you think, do you expect there to be like a gradient so that some places, really uh, have a great connection between their education directors and their uh, support staff and the animal caretakers, and then some places maybe, like, don't think about that as much?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that that's part of the information that I'm trying to find out, uh, if there is a disconnect. I mean, I, you know, I've only worked in um, a handful of of places myself, so I only have a little bit of of, um, understanding to kind of add to that as far as what I've seen is there tends to be a little bit of a a divide between these two departments. Um, and we'll see that a lot of times the education side of things will focus more on the K through 12 and then the animal care side will focus on, uh, the public presentations. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how much of that will be, uh, different among the different facilities. And so how did you
0: end up, uh, I want to like dive into your history, how did you end up actually like coming up with this question of like, or is this, is everything that I'm doing here working at a zoo really getting to the guest?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I, I alluded to this, I guess, a little bit before, but I've been working in the industry for about 15 years. Um, do you want me to start with
0: Yeah. With sure. us start with? What, yeah, how was your inspiration to get into zoo life in the first place?
2: Yeah, so I knew I loved animals uh, when I was in high school, and I took some time to really think about what that meant to me. And I had seen a show on Animal Planet of all places. Uh, it's called War Park 24-7, and it was a reality show. I think at the time it was still a relatively new idea. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but... Um, <laughs> And they were documenting the students' journeys through this school um, that was about animal training and how to manage uh, collections of, of exotic animals and, you know, what that took. And it was, uh, you know, they called it more Park 24-7 because it's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job. And I got really interested in it. I looked up the program and decided to apply. Eventually got in. um, it was. Uh, it's located at Park College. Uh, it's the exotic animal training and management program there. Uh, it's in Southern California. It's just outside L.A. And that was uh, that was the beginning. That was the fateful beginning.
0: Right. So you said college for twenty four seven. Is that is that uh, exaggeration? Like, what do they mean by that?
2: <laughs> uh, you know you would think it was an exaggeration, but the, the reality is that with animals, uh, because they're, they're alive, right? These are living, breathing beings. Uh, you don't get a break. Um, and you know, that's okay because that was what we, me and my peers, that's what we were there to do is that we were there to, to take uh, care of those animals. Um, so yeah, it was a two-year program. We worked through the summer, through all the holidays. Um, I remember, working on Christmas for both of those years and eating popcorn because uh, there wasn't anything open on Christmas Day.
0: (laughs) Oh, bummer. (laughs) So uh, you also mentioned that you had uh, many internships that took you to some uh, exotic, some very, um, I guess, unique experiences that maybe you didn't expect to happen or you didn't expect these certain places to even have uh, animal collections.
2: Yes, um, I think I know what you're getting at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so part of the War Park program is you do a bunch of internships. So I worked at the L.A. Zoo um, to get experiences there, at the Santa Barbara Zoo. I did an internship at the Pacific Marine Mammal Center uh, with rescued sea lions, elephant seals, and harbor seals to see that side of things. Um, I did an internship at Wild Things where I ended up working later, which was a, a wildlife education um, outreach. So they rescued native wildlife, um, and other animals that had to be placed and would go out to school groups. Um, I was a dog trainer, uh, worked with a dog trainer in Austria, and um, I did a internship at the Playboy Mansion because Hugh Hefner has a private collection of animals that need to be taken care of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. So you had to, like, report to the Playboy Mansion every day for work for a little bit, huh?
2: I, I did. I had to talk to <laughs> talk uh, that was the security um, the how you talk to security and they opened up gates and it was uh, pretty it was a pretty interesting experience
0: to see. <laughs> very cool yeah that's probably the most unique uh, background story that I've heard on the show so far yeah uh, definitely
1: <laughs> but it, at some point you kind of realized that you wanted to do something a little different or dive a little deeper into um what you were studying and what you were um, your your work environment with training the animal? So tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so I finished up at Moore Park and I realized that I really wanted to understand animal behavior more, and I was really intrigued by that. So I did my undergrad um, at California University in Sacramento, um, and I studied biology for a year, um, and I studied animal behavior in that uh, sort of lens. Realized that that wasn't really what I was interested in. Um, I did uh, some re- research on African convict cichlids. I looked at the leaf flipping behavior of the uh, mothers <laughs> with their fry. And it was interesting, but not my cup of tea. So I switched over to psychology and I have a um, degree in uh, applied behavior analysis, which was, uh, as it sounds, this applied approach to uh, utilizing behavior principles. And that was very similar to what I had been doing as an animal trainer. Uh, all those principles are the same; they're all from the same places. Um, but their uh, uh, ABA stuff is is typically uh, utilized with uh, uh, with children or adults that have developmental dis- developmental disabilities. So I worked with kids with autism um, and got to got to really hone. Um, my ability to utilize those principles in practice, which was great. Uh, and it was just, it's so interesting. Um, behave, I'm a behavior nerd, so I can <laughs> behavior.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting how, you know, you have this fascination with animal behavior, and then you went and found, you know, such a parallel in the human um, behavioral studies as well. I can really integrate those two and really make the most of that. And, um, I think that's part of the reason why you decided to go on to get your uh, master's degree, correct?
2: Yeah. So I, after I finished up my bachelor's, I decided, um, I, I intended to go on to grad school right away, but I decided I wanted to get back into the industry. So I moved down to San Diego. I started training, uh, dolphins down there for the Navy, um, which was a whole other crazy chapter in my life. Um, (laughs) As a result of that I realized I really missed the education side because that was classified position so you couldn't have the public there um, and so I decided I really wanted to know more about how how to educate people you know the the pedagogy behind um, education um, and especially in those contexts and especially as it related to the environment because uh, I saw that you know there's this you know sort of big problem with climate change um, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that little, it's a
0: thing. <laughs>
2: thing. So you know, I wanted to see how I could contribute to that to mitigating climate change, and, and the way that I knew how, um, which was through animals and the connections that were created with animals um, to nature and with people, um, and to utilize my behavioral knowledge um, to to inform and. Um, to inform and change how we're approaching pro-environmental behavior um, at zoos and aquariums in in particular, since that was my background. Yeah. So I, think, I just... Oh. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: Sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting how you are, you know, it's it's one thing to be doing these things, but it's another thing to be evaluating and really checking to see um, the efficacy of them. And and really the third part of your, your research project is to see... You know, how how these live animal exhibits are impacting the guests and really is is this changing their behaviors or not? And I think it's really important that we do, you know, we can never stop researching that. Um, because we can always be doing things better and better with the more that we know.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's really it's sort of um my favorite part of the project is to look at the evaluation side and to see exactly what you were saying, which is like, how do we continue to improve this? How do we continue to understand, um, how to approach these things? And, um, I think, I just think it's really interesting because, you know, there is this, this, like I mentioned now a couple of times with this gap between research and practice, and that's something that I'm really trying to bridge, By bringing this, you know, these theoretical and conceptual frameworks that I have now dove very deeply into in in my master's program and bringing that understanding to the practice so that we can continue to improve um, the way that we're the way that we're doing these programs. And, um, you know, I'm I'm hoping that it's beneficial for everybody. (laughs) Uh, That's the main goal, I guess.
0: I definitely think so. A little bit of structure never, never was bad for educational programs. <laughs> um, but uh, one thing I want to know is I'm First of all, really excited to hear about your results after this summer. <laughs> and then also, what about the future? So, you're going to have a master's here pretty soon and you're going to know more about the systems that you are currently investigating. Are you going to go back to be a, in an institute or like, you know, part of a, a zoo c- or aquarium community? Or uh, do you have plans for further education?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the letter to Santa Claus right now would be to. Go back <laughs> To, um to get back into the field for sure,'m I'm, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to take all of this information and to start doing these things, to start evaluating the programs and, and designing them maybe a little differently and approaching things from a little more creative standpoint. And um, I, I would a- a love to eventually you know turn this into some sort of consultation service so I'm able to um, go to multiple facilities um, in the country, eventually, hopefully over you know over the world. Um, where I'm able to train staff in these in these principles and these techniques, um, and and allow them to then implement those programs independently, so that it has a much wider reach. Um, but you know, take this uh, one day at a time. Right now, I would love it if I could get a job in the industry, doing all these awesome things.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Excited about that. So uh, we are coming to the end of the show now. And uh, we have two bits of of tradition that we always stick to here on Inspiration Dissemination. And one of them is to ask you for your advice. So you have bridged the gap between animals and humans and maybe know more about human brains than other people. So I'm intrigued to hear your advice.
2: Yeah, well, I think my advice is don't take no for an answer. <laughs> uh, I've heard that more times than I can count. Um, and I think also getting getting really serious about envisioning yourself in, in wherever you want to be, figuring out what that is, what it looks like sort of in, in living color right in vivid detail and figuring out how to get there. I think that would be that would be my advice to those who are who are beginning down this path. Um, and I think something that's really gotten me through a lot of the ups and downs of grad school in general is just staying really close to, you know, what I call my truth. So something that, um, is just like, is, is me, is my authentic self is something that I'm passionate about, something that I love, something that I know is, is, um, worth contributing. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. So the other tradition that we have here is choosing a song. And um, so it's my understanding you've chosen a song. And can you tell us a little bit about what that song is?
2: Yeah. Well, as uh, you guys know, it's Father's Day. So I got to do a little shout out to my dad. Um, I chose, uh, well, and shout out to my brother and my mother because they are also listening, I hope. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> so hi guys love you um, but i i chose the uh, hotel california by the eagles because it's on my dad's top five um and it's got a lot of meaning for us right now so
0: cool and awesome. she and you're you're actually calling us from california huh
2: uh you know i'm actually in arizona oh okay whoops certain <laughs> certain- <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. but
1: what? you spent a lot of time in california
2: <laughs> yes i
0: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, happy Father's Day to your dad and to all of our dads. And we've got Hotel California ready to go for you. And uh, Nicolette, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you so much. This was so fun. And we
0: definitely are interested to hear about uh, the success of science communication outside of the university, which we are all used to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here it is, Hotel California by the Eagles, and uh, we are signing off. We are back next week on Inspiration Dissemination at 7 p.m., and uh, here it is, requests from our guest, Nicolette.